Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a podcast about the civic technology movement. We seek to harness the power technology has to improve the delivery of public services to people everywhere. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us here on Civic Tech Chat. Could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do? Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me here. Um, uh, introduce myself. Well, let me start with what we do, which is Code for America. Uh, we believe government is the place to make change at scale, and we believe technology is one of the best levers to do so. And so we bring those things together to partner with government to make it better. Um, why did I end up here? Um, you know, it, it all really does start with where I grew up. I grew up in the Central Valley of California. My parents were former farm workers, and I've had this incredible fortune to be able to um, have, I went to Stanford, Harvard Business School, served 10 years in the Senate, um, worked on a national, as national political director on a presidential campaign. And so I've seen public service from all kinds of different angles, government from all kinds of different angles. And I think at the end of the day, I am still that kid that grew up in small town, rural America and wants to make it better. And so one of the beautiful things about Code for America is they've been doing this for the last decade, really using technology technology to be able to reach hard to reach communities like I grew up in. And so um, it's awesome to bring it all together, not only my political and politics career, but now um, to be able to put action um, to work in the communities I grew up in. You mentioned why a little bit for like the why you ended up where where you're at now. But I'd be curious if we kind of go down to like a broader level. Like what would you say is your personal why? The thing that drives you to get up bit each morning to do all that you do? As cheesy as it sounds, um, there's nothing more honorable than making a difference in people's lives. Um, that's what we do. That's what public service is about. And that's what technology at Code for America is about. Um, and I think there's a particular bend for me which is um, connecting people that aren't often connected um, and being able to do that, especially at this time when people have to stay apart. Um, how do we, again, bring the world, the country together? And I think we do that every single day at Code for America. As you alluded to in your introduction, your background spans across government service, public policy, campaigning, and uh, even your own candidacy for public office. And now you're the CEO of a prominent civic tech organization. Can you talk to us a bit about that path that led you to where you are now? Yeah, the the through thread. I mean, when you look at all the different places and things I've done, um, the through thread is really the work that I get to do in public service, the work that I get to do in helping to empower people. Um, as, a, as a matter of background, I really fell in love with it as a public school teacher. Um, there's nothing quite like the front lines of trying to teach high school kids, <laughs> many of whom don't necessarily want to be in a classroom all day, um, but trying to really not only teach them for the real world out there, but at the same time trying to create a real world that's ready for them. Um, and I think that that for me has been my path all along, whether it's been in the Senate for a decade building policies that really can see and help all people truly build um, the kind of country and nation we can be proud of, or running for office where um, coming to the conclusion that we need all voices at the table, how can I help contribute in that way? And so, um, on, and now we're actually doing the work and taking those lessons and trying to scale them all across the country 
um, so that we have the kind of government that really does um, treat people with dignity and respect no matter where you are and make sure that government works effectively at the same time. Um, so it's, it's pretty exciting to be able to put all of those different pieces together, especially at a time where the entire country is leaning into digital first, um, out of force, unfortunately, but uh, a, a change we all actually needed to make in order to live in this modernized world that we're in today. And a question I have that is definitely not there, so they have content for the episode description. Uh, is there any media, whether a podcast, book, periodical, video, or some other such thing that you would recommend to folks out there listening to this? You mean besides this one? <laughs> um, so a couple of things I'll say. Uh, Kids News, I know that's really silly, but they really do a really fantastic five-minute job of giving you what, the, you know, what happened in the world. Um, so we listen to Kids News every morning, and it's always a little bit hopeful and inspiration. Uh, it has some inspiration in there, so um, that's one. Um, you know, I've throughout my life have read, or my adult life, have read Scientific American Mind, uh, partly because my husband happens to be in the brain science space, but it's fascinating um, to think about how our brains work, how the mind works in general. So I always think it's a good space to be in. And then um, the one that I'm currently reading is um, uh, The Future is Faster Than You Think. And the title alone gives you a sense of not just um, why I'm reading it, um, being at Code for America, being leaning in on the front edge, but it is changing us and it has changed us and we don't even see it. And I think that we don't even see it is the part that I think we all need to be intentional about. What are the things we don't see that technology is doing? What are the communities we haven't seen that we should have seen? And so um, making the, the invisible visible is something I love and try and read about it if I can, because um, sometimes books get there faster than our eyes do. Uh, switching gears a bit, I, I'd love to kind of dig into some stuff about um, you're kind of taking over a Code for America here. And I believe the announcement for that came out around uh, May 1st. And uh, I imagine since then you've spent a great deal of time getting to know the organization, uh, its purpose, its members. Uh, as you've thought about that, uh, how do you see the organization's core why, as we kind of maybe talk back at why again? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We are such a beautiful mosaic of partly tech, partly public service, partly community empowerment, partly nonprofit. Um, we definitely sit in sort of unicornville where we're trying to bring all these different pieces together with the entire intent to make sure that government can work for all people at the end of the day. Um, and so part of what our goal, what our mission right now specifically is, is how do we do that in a bigger way? We know that technology can make programs work better. We know that technology can actually have a respectful and dignified conversation with everyone, no matter what community you're in. Um, but how do we do that and how do we do it as, at scale as fast as possible, knowing our infrastructure is outdated or knowing that some systems were put into place to actually not be nice, but to, um, to harm folks or to, or to redline folks or to divide us. And so um, all of those are in play, and I think um, Code for America has this unique role because we are such a unicorn to be able to try and translate different worlds 
and change the kind of conversation a government is having with each individual. And that's our hope, is that we can be in that space where we leverage technology um, so that people trust government again, believe in government, can use it, and that it's actually meant for them, uh, truly of and by the people. Uh, part of your answer there, you mentioned some of that nuance around like the purpose of policies that might exist and how you know, some of them maybe even are there to cause harm to a degree. And I, I think something you mentioned in the blog post you wrote as you were kind of taking the reins at CFA kind of touches on that, on that a bit. Uh, the contents of it were weaved with an attention to point out the need for empathy in government. I believe you used the phrase, build a government with heart. Yeah. As we sit here in these times and kind of those comments you just made previously, like what, what, what does this phrase mean to you? Yeah, it, it means we have to see people where they are. We have to meet them where they are. Um, it, it doesn't mean that you govern from a high mountaintop down on the people, but it means you actually govern from within. And we see this so much in our systems in terms of, you know, I'll give a good example, the social safety net, right, that's supposed to be there right now. Um, I don't know if it, when you go through that application process, you realize um, – how not inspiring it is. You know, what was your last job? Why did you, you know, why did you now end that job, right? Like, I mean, just the questions that come in, depending on what, where you are taking that, where you're trying to apply for it, as opposed to just imagine that, okay, you know, we had a job loss, but on, on Friday and on Monday, you get a text from your government saying, hey, I'm sorry about this. Here is the plan. You'll be getting, you know, an un unemployment works in this way. Um, here is where a check will be coming. Here is where your job opportunities in your area are available. Available. Here are some skills you can learn in the process. I mean, just something like that. That to me is actually a government that is not only helping you be empowered, but it's caring about you. It's recognizing that maybe the day after you shouldn't say, are you really unemployed or not? Um, and that's kind of what people face today. I agree. I, I sometimes get the vibe that those questions you're referring to almost make it seem like you have to hop over some sort of like moral judgment right. just to get a service that just, you know, you're, you know, being a citizen of the state or municipality, like you, you're due that, right? It, it seems odd that you'd have to pass a moral judgment for that. Yeah. And, and I, we talk a lot about this when it comes to, for instance, the earned income tax credit, right? Government has all this. Can 30 different states actually send you your form and say, is this correct? <laughs> right. And can you imagine you, you are like, okay, here's your form. Is this right? Click here. If not click there, do you want to direct deposit in your account or how do you want to do this? Or how do you want to pay, you know, taxes due in that sense? I think there's an opportunity to do this right and do it well, not only through technology, but it also comes with trusting government. But in order to trust government it has to work for you. It has to speak to you. I imagine that you've put considerable thought into what your vision is for, for Code for America under your watch. And I imagine maybe we've touched on some things that relate to this. Uh, would you be willing to share some of what's been on your mind relating to that uh, here with the listeners? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is uh, any leader comes in and, and they might have a vision that, you know, five-year, ten-year vision. Um, what's interesting in the first five days uh, I quickly understood that we've got to live for the moment. We've got to make sure we are doing all we can right now. And so it's, I, I, I share that with you only to that I do, I share my vision with the understanding of how important the right now, the here and now is 
for so many of the folks that we are serving, but also just for the people at Code for America. Um, you know, as I entered, the, it's almost as though the spotlight was on what we do, because all of a sudden, immediately, you know, this world that we live in, in terms of food stamps or EITC or even our brigade network that is out there, we, we were trying to convince people to, de, to be digital first, to care about these social safety net programs. And then all of a sudden, in a week's time, we get, how can you do more of this? And what I will say is that Code for America, we have the heavy weight of knowing that the programs we do are truly helping people to survive. And at the same time, staff in and of itself is trying to figure out this new world we're in. And so um, my, my hope is that for the moment we can do, we are doing and can keep doing all we can to help people really survive this moment, but that we are maintaining our own sustainability um, because the, the truth is we need Code for America as we think about recovery in this moment. And so my vision, it's interesting, my vision in some ways in the five to 10 years hasn't changed, but the way in which we get there with our giving ourselves some grace and empathy while we do it is really important. But we, we can be the organization right now that where there's this window of opportunity to lean into digital, we can help cities bring in digital in a way that bends that digital towards good that bends that digital towards seeing everyone, um, really that bends that digital for being ready for the next pandemic or the next crisis. Um, you know, I think, I think we, we give a lot of um, real attention to how do we do this in a way that we come out of this better, that our government comes out of it more trusted, more capable, more able to help people reach their potential. Something I, I heard in your answer there was that that transition point between uh, convincing to then all of a sudden asking for more. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that uh, that 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 place? Is that something that like is hey like we're we're getting their buy-in? Are they just seeing it working somewhere? Uh, can you talk a little about that? Yeah. So apparently, um, this was before I started when we would go and source projects and ideas for, for instance, integrated benefits, which means you'd you know, anyone be, be able to apply and you'd be applying for all the different programs, not just one at a time uh, that a state has to offer. And so when we were first talking about that project, I think people, um, we were trying to say, no, 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 you really can do this. We were trying to convince states and cities or counties that it was possible to do it in this integrated way. I think today we get calls now at, which are, hey, I know I need to do this in a digital way. I know I need to bring these programs together. Um, how do we do that? And so just the fact that the tables have turned in that regard has changed the nature of our work because now it's like, how can we juggle it all that's coming in? Or how can we group it together where we can help this set of states that are dealing with how to make sure their data is good or can speak or is not so siloed, for instance. Um, and so that's now of the change of the work, which is it's coming at us. And so how do we most efficiently and effectively help government move through this process um, and be better at the back end. Folks listening to the program may be aware that Code for America engages with public services and communities in a couple of ways. There's a, one side, which is kind of more the formal partnerships with state and local government, and another, which uh, you mentioned, I think, in a prior answer, that brigade network, uh, those kind of volunteers in different, in different places across the country. Uh, what role do you envision each of these functions having going forward? 
Yeah. Um, so our our program areas are simply expanding and scaling as we speak, right? Um, unfortunately, more people are falling into food assistance or cash assistance needs. Um, so, and a lot of systems need to go digital. And so our programs are scaling, broadening, deepening. They're going to keep going. Our brigade network has immediately jumped in with response, right? So whether it's food mapping um, for folks to try and figure out where can I go get food assistance in certain places, um, or whether it's asset mapping, so communities know where they can go to get whatever they might need in their community, um, we're doing all of that work. I think the the really unique thing about CFA is not only are we deep in these programs, but we have eyes and ears in 85 brigades, 25,000 volunteers all across the country. And so we are seeing this at a national level from a very hyper-local view. And we're actually seeing it from the inside of government too because of the programs we run. And so the, the sort of bird's eye view is really helpful as we shape not only what work we want to be in, um, but it helps us shape, shape best practices that we can share across the country. And so it, it's the reason why Code for America is such a unique organization at this very moment in time where the window is open to both changing inside government and changing nationwide how we think and do government work or civic tech work. Your mention of having some perspective, both kind of within and without those institutions is kind of interesting. I, I don't imagine there's a lot of organizations that have access to that. No. Uh, and could you talk a little bit takes, about how that informs what y'all are doing? Yeah, it takes a decade, right? It takes a decade of uh, building a volunteer network. It takes a decade of putting tech talent within government itself. Um, and it takes a decade in learning about the programs and sitting with public servants who are administering these programs, sitting with clients who are using these programs. Um, so it's, it's been a journey to be where we are now. Um, but where it all comes together is quite beautiful. I'll, as an example, the earned income tax credit. All of a sudden, people used to go to volunteer sites, right? And you would walk into the volunteer site and get help. COVID happened. Nobody can walk in. In very short order, we, we went through and brought a team together. How do you think about the tech tools that need to happen, right? How do you build those partnerships with volunteer sites around the country, with community groups around the country to get the word out that this is how you do it, to bring people to an app that could do it for free? Um, and then how do you bring in the volunteer capability, which is where our brigades came in? We had people who signed up to help people through a process to answer questions, how does this relate to the stimulus? How do I sign this form? How do I? And so we put everyone on a training program and it was beautiful. You now could fill out a free, um, a free, if you're making 66K or less, a free application with a chat function, with a volunteer help call if you needed, in order to get you through this form and get the cash that's really yours. So I hope we can find more of those kinds of opportunities, not just in crisis, but on a going forward basis. I actually had a question here about collaboration between these two, but it sounds like maybe the example you're using might be kind of that model you're looking at for like how can the programs and brigades collaborate together effectively? Is that, is that, is that so? That's one of the ways. That's right. Um, I, I think there's such opportunity here. Again, our brigade network is the eyes and ears of what's happening in communities all across the country, and there's such a rich understanding of what is happening, particularly right now, this, the, you know, 
so much of what people are experiencing in this is hyper-local, right? Because COVID um, is what's happening in your neighborhood. And uh, the ability to kind of pull that out and learn from it and share it across. Um, also, just really the opportunity to come together for like National, uh, National Day of Civic Hacking to go, okay, what is happening around the country on safety nets? How does it work and how do we pull out how best we can do this? That kind of opportunity um, we want to take advantage of. I'll also say another, which is we've got to start thinking, um, if we want to bring our services to scale, we have to start thinking about what kind of policy changes need to happen. And so there's a real opportunity here to have a lot of our brigades speak to the policy um, that we need in order to do this kind of work um, better. In the past, Code for America has been involved a bit on the policy advocacy side of things. An example of this recently was playing a role in promoting the Digital Service Act, which uh, for context for the listeners, this was a bill that was introduced last year by Senator Harris with the intent to empower state and local governments to form digital services teams. As we look ahead, uh, what kind of role do you see CFA having in this public policy space? We've got to be at the table uh, if we really want to make change at scale. Um, that's at the table in policy conversations, at the table in administrative burden conversations, at the table at tech conversations. Um, we know this, and I think what's happened over the last four months is we have now seen um, and actually been a part of bringing down um, barriers, policy barriers really, in order to get resources out to people. And so even in this short window of time, we've seen temporary policy changes to address the current situation. And we can use that to say, no, this needs to be permanent. And actually we can offer the pilot, the experiment to say, listen, we did this for the last month and here were the outcomes. It was better in this way. We can also see the opposite, right? Which is, oh wait, we went a little bit too far there. And so the opportunity to really step into that conversation I think is imperative for Code for America because of the window we see. We see that last mile. We see how if you move one lever, it can mean 100 more kids are fed, right? We see that lever. If you move this, how many more people we can make a dent in the 12 million EITC gap that people are not getting money deserved to them, right? That is, that is their tax refunds. And so um, those levers are really important for us to be able to weigh in on, largely because there's not really any other nationwide organization that sees that level of detail, that tech allows us to see that level of detail of what policy changes can bring out the kind of outcomes that we all like to see in this country. Yeah, I think what you're describing um, kind of buys well off a lot of uh, some of the other things Good for America has said about policy. I think you use the, the term like delivery-driven government, where it's like That's trying right. to use like those human-centered design things in policymaking. That's right. I love it, Ryan. I love that you know uh, human-centered design. Um, we have been talking about that a lot. For listeners who aren't as tech-oriented, we do call it like putting people first because um, that's essentially what it is. It's, it's a fancy way of saying that, but we want to make sure that when you think about um, government policy, that you're not thinking about it from you know senators that I used to work for who are coming up with ideas to write them down, but you're actually thinking about it from the person who's going to use that service. And this comes from somebody who fought like heck to get certain policies in, right? We, you fight so hard to say we need that program because it's going to really help people. And then what? 
right? And I think the feedback loop here is so important. I wish I could go back to my earlier self and go, yeah, you know that thing you're fighting for? Let me tell you how it actually gets rolled out. Um, I, I'd, ho I'd like to think I'd be a better uh, advisor if I knew those kinds of things. And so now I'm doing my best um, to really try and capture that and really try and give visible or tangible examples of what it means to run a program well. And what we know at Code for America for the last 10 years is it has to start with sitting um, next to that person um, that is filling out that application. Um, I'll give you I'll give you a quick story, which is before joining Senator Stabenow's team, uh, I went to she had me go to the um, the auto show, right, the Detroit auto show, and I think about that so often because government services should be that way. Before anyone writes a policy, they should go and actually apply to that program and see what it's like, what it feels like, and I think we'd have better policy if we did that. I, I imagine with what you're saying, there's probably plenty of space for some partnership and coaching to happen, whether it's at agencies or in offices that are kind of those that help determine policy. Uh, is, is that something you see there being space to attempt to do? And if so, what, what, what do you think that would look like? Yeah, it, it's, it's really important to do it. Um, my, if I could just paint the vision, I would love for us, um, to actually lead tours with um, sitting with public servants, sitting with clients who are using the services. You know, there used to be this thing on the Hill called CODELs where you would go visit a country, you would um, go visit, let's say, a factory and learn about advanced manufacturing, for instance. But I'd really like to take folks on a tour of applying for <laughs> the programs we have, right? I'd like to pe take people on a tour sitting next to the caseworker who's trying to figure out how to make sure that the programs that were passed actually get implemented on the front on the front lines because i think that understanding you know if you're really trying to make a difference sitting in someone else's shoes or in their seat just does make you better and so um, that's what we do at code for america so to be able to fortunately right now we're in covid but to be able to take elected officials or policy writers chiefs of staff etc um, on these tours with us to do it, to go to the sites, um, makes a huge difference. I think something I'm hearing there is that that kind of ties back to what you said at the very beginning of our episode where we're talking about empathy. Because you really can't have empathy for someone if you don't ever have any exposure to somebody like them, right? If you don't have exposure to these processes, it's probably hard to empathize with someone struggling. Yeah, I mean, it's harder. Um, it, it's certainly harder to do it. Um, I think the other piece is I think we'd like to think our services work better. Any public servant doesn't want to believe that uh, the room that you go into isn't quite working or the program is just a pile of papers, right? And so some of it is, uh, you know, trusting your eyes, <laughs> right? And and when you're there on the ground and you see it and you feel it and, you know, the the air conditioner doesn't work in the community center because it's in a low-income area. And so guess what? Nobody comes in <laughs> during the day. And so maybe we need to extend our hours in a different way. You know, it just gives you that context of living in someone else's shoes that really need the services that government is trying to provide. And I think that's the part that you can't really do via Zoom or you can't do from Washington, D.C., um, trying to understand what it's like in rural America. 
this year has been a time that's brought a lot for a lot of folks to face. Whether we're talking about the pandemic, uh, our society struggling with its own systemic racism, or folks just trying to stay afloat in a time where there's just a lot more kind of latent stress around them. As someone who's uh, leading an organization like CFA, how are you and how is the organization kind of adapting and responding to the plethora of challenges that are just out there? It's something I, it's the thing I think about most, right? How is our team, how is our organization doing? Um, and all I know is being in this foxhole together. Um, we are, we do what we do with Code for America. We try certain things out and then we iterate. <laughs> and we do surveys and find out how people are and we ask. And so what I'll say, we did a summer shutdown. Never had done that before, but we thought if we could just let everybody out, um, and so you're not going to get your emailing pile up, it might actually feel like you can disconnect. And what I will say is what we learned is people came back and everyone started talking about the simple things that gave them pleasures. Um, we do a no meeting Thursdays. We're a pretty heavy meeting organization, and we're like, how do we, how do we change this? And so we're trying out a no meeting Thursdays. Um, you know, and then I think the other pieces we try and check in often. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing um, that, you know, that makes a bigger difference than someone saying, how you doing, right? Like things okay. And being okay would not being okay. Um, and so we have that honesty internally. You know, externally, what's really interesting for us is that we do, we sense, we sense that people not only need these services that we provide now, but we know it's coming even more. We can see the economic fundamentals. We can see the numbers of folks on unemployment. Um, and we're trying to adjust to be ready for, um, well, not only to be ready in real time, being ready for what's coming at us, right? Food stamps are up, you know, four times, right? 10 times. Um, we're seeing those spikes and we're not seeing them level off. And so how do we keep that as, as we go forward? Um, but I will say this. Um, there is not a more dedicated group of people who believe in the work that we do, who want to help uh, to help in a new way, using technology as that lever. And I got to say, on a day-to-day -day basis, we try and remain really hopeful about the work that we're doing because we do have this window of opportunity to perhaps shape it in a way that does make it easier in the future. Maybe not right now for people. But in the future, we could have that stronger social safety net so people aren't falling so hard. And in fact, we can just keep people up as they, as they bounce back up. So that's the hopeful piece of it all. You mentioned that summer shutdown. Uh, for folks that are listening to that and maybe perking up and, oh, like, what's, what's that all about? Could you tell us a little bit more about, like, what, uh, what did that entail? Yeah, it, it, it entailed really everybody not uh, being done. So we went Thursday, Friday, of course, that's Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So we had just everyone off of email, um, no one working. And we had a pretty good informal rule of not sending an email or Slack, like nothing. And we made it, I mean, we made it a thing, right? We said, this is going to be summer shutdown. This is what it is. Some people attach some of their, um, their paid time off to it, either on the front end or the back end. Um, but, you know, and some of these things, you don't realize how well they're going to go because we'd already given people paid time off however you want to use it, right? So you can use these days for here or there. But what we quickly learned is actually it doesn't really matter because your email just keeps piling up. So we said, okay, let's stop that and let's just take a day or let's take three days. Um, and it really, I mean, even for me, um, 
it was really quite beautiful to just be able to disconnect and not be apologetic for it. Right, oh, I'm sorry I didn't get to that. Or Nope, we took a summer shutdown and we meant it. Um, and I think that's one of the things as a leader um, that we've got to be, I, I'm trying to be really careful about. When I say we're off, we're really off. Um, and trying to role model that as much as my motor keeps going, trying to really role model that as much as possible. Uh, another thing in there that I, I imagine is a, a challenge you've had to deal with is that I imagine like some of the partners that I work with maybe aren't quite as used to this new doing everything over webcams and audio world that maybe that as, as well as Code for America may have been through through some of its own experiences. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what it's like to kind of coach and and work with folks that maybe are less inclined to it? Yeah, you know, I think um, <laughs> the good news is we're all learning together. <laughs> it was it was much harder in, in digital first in general on anything. It's much harder when you're first trying to convince people that, no, 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 really, you'll like it better. <laughs> um, instead, you know, it is a little bit like it's going to be okay. So the conversation goes from, you know, you'll like it better to really it's going to be okay. And going through it together, but I think there's an honesty that we're all going through right now, which is all of our lives are upended. So we have a commonality here to start off with. Nobody knows the answers, but we're going to make our way together on this Zoom call when we have tech difficulties and be really, really at peace with that. Um, we we try and model that, um, you know, and so we do have sometimes a kid will pop on the call or your Zoom does go out and it just it just does happen. Uh, one of the things I'm hopeful about is that we're seeing um, partners and clients become almost comfortable with mistakes now and then. And at Code for America, that is kind of our learning lessons, right? We do retros, which means we do a whole feedback conversation on things. That's not something that happens in policy and government. You know, you rarely go, was that policy really good or not? <laughs> right? Usually it's like, oh, we got that wrong. Let's fix it. But it's not really like, no, 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 let's step back. How was our process? Did it work? What did we learn? And then how do we implement something new? Um, and so just doing that, you know, with others in this iterative process, what I have found is that people are more willing to do it now, but they're also more willing to kind of talk about it afterwards and say what we could have done better. And that's huge. Amanda, I want to thank you again for, for taking the time out of your day to join us here on the podcast. Uh, as, as is tradition with every episode, we kind of have some space that's meant to be like concluding thoughts or like things you would like folks to leave this conversation thinking about. Uh, what would that be for you and this chat we've had today? So I think technology in general is going to affect uh, every piece of our environment. It already has in ways seen and unseen. And I think it is incumbent on all of us because we all use it to pull that tech in a way that either tech for good or tech for empowering others. Um, I think that's all of us together trying to do it. And so for anyone that's out there that feels disconnected from civic tech or disconnected from government, whether you feel disconnected from the civic part or the tech part, you're a part of one or the other. And the idea is we bring it together, but we only bring it together with everyone really engaging um, in their own way to use it for good. And so that's why I was so excited to do this podcast with you, because I think this conversation is incredibly important. And obviously timing, um, the timing of this is really important right now when we're all learning to do things differently, to try and connect and to try and make this country a better place. So thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for coming on and talking with us. 
You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at civictechchat, visit us on the web at civictech.chat, or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.